Great to see you this morning, and uh, we're continuing this little series called Connectivity, and it's about being connected, hence the name, right? Uh, I want to begin this morning by uh, just uh, saying thank you for encouraging me and supporting me in a lot of things. <clears throat> Excuse me. Some of you, uh, you know, I've been, I'm, some of you know that I've been gone a lot this year. Uh, I was sick earlier in the year, uh, had serious things going on and whatnot, and so I, 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 you know, there's been a couple Sundays I'm showing up and people say, who is this guy, right? Who is this guy? Uh, last weekend, I was gone again, and it was because uh, Chrissy and I went out to Tucson uh, just to uh, spend some time with my dad and my sisters and watch this little football game between Arizona and Texas Tech. Go Wildcats, right? Go Wildcats. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know there's a lot of Texas Tech fans around here. Be easy with me, okay? Uh, here's a couple pictures uh, from last weekend, and uh, this is Chrissy and me. Now, Chrissy went to Texas Tech, so we have this in-house rivalry that goes on all the time. Uh, we went with Jim and Lavina Weathers and had a, just a great time, and we happened to be sitting in the Texas Tech section. I just got to say that Texas Tech folks were gracious to me uh, as sitting in the middle of all that. And then the next picture is of me and my dad. Uh, and uh, Dad is 92, and Dad's a big Wildcat fan. Of course, I'm a big Wildcat fan, of course, as well. And it was just a great, grand time, and I just want to express again thanks to you for your support in doing those kinds of things. You know, um, when you work at a church, Sundays are kind of important. And so, there's, you know, you kind of push everything aside because Sunday is what it's all about as far as in the church, not just only, but... But you understand, as a, as a pastor and a teacher, a preacher, Sunday's a big deal. When you miss a Sunday, it, 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 you feel it. Uh, so I just want to say thank you for the encouragement for us to go and for the support that uh, Christian and I have always received from you about those kind of family times. Uh, it was a great game. Uh, did I mention the Wildcats won? Did I say that already? Uh, if I didn't say that already, the Wildcats won. Uh, and uh, it's a great time. But, you know, one of the things that you're aware of about sporting events is that it, it takes a team to make it work. You get that. Uh, when you're rooting for your team, whether it's a game yesterday or maybe it's a football game or a basketball game or whatever sport it is, most sports are team sports. Uh, now, the Olympics, uh, there's a lot of individual kinds of sports, that kind of thing. But most sports, sporting events are team events, and you understand what team is about, together, everybody, everyone achieves more, right? That's the old acronym for team, uh, that everybody working together has uh, a purpose to it. It's about winning the game, and when you see a great team effort, it inspires us. Uh, you know, the, the football games that end and lots of things going on, lots of things going back and forth, it, it, it's always exciting when my team wins. And you, we always say, wow, what a great team it is. And I just want to invite you today to recognize that you're, if you consider yourself a Christian, you're on a team. If you have said yes to Jesus in your heart, not just with your head, but with your heart as well, if you've said yes to Jesus, you're on a team. You're on God's team. And the Bible makes it very clear that we are all on this team. I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians 12, a passage that I'm sure many of you have read before, heard before, but it's about the team. Paul said it this to the church at Corinth, said it this way, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves and some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit and we all share the same spirit. Yes, 
The body has many parts, many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Don't you love the images that he uses? If the whole body were an ear? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each one, each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are, are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each one of you is a part of it. Let the church say amen. Now, there's a lot that could be said about this passage, but let me just lift up a few things because we've got to move quickly this morning. Paul says there's one body, many parts, right? You heard that? If you are a Christ follower, you are a part of the body. By virtue of the fact that you call yourself a Christian, you are intended to be a part connected to the body. One body, many parts. He says some are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. This is radical in his day. Please hear this. Radical for Paul to say this in his day, because basically what he's saying is there's no classism among Christians. doesn't matter if you were a Jew or if you were a Gentile or if you were a slave or if you were free. We are all equal in Christ. Please hear this radical concept for that day. And important for us to remember today as well. There is no room for any kind of discrimination against somebody else because they're different than we are. You're a part of the body. It doesn't have to do with your skin color or your ethnic background or your sex or whatever. And, oh, by the way, he says, your role in the body is up to God. And that grates at us some because we like to be in control. We like to determine where we're effective and where we can be used. But Paul says, no, that's up to God. God's the one who dictates what your role is in the life of the body. And sometimes we struggle with that because we may not feel like we're as big a part of the body as we'd like to be. We might feel like we're a big toe, and the big toe just isn't all that important. Well, I challenge you to go to the surgeon tomorrow and say, hey, I want you to remove my big toe and see how that works out for you. You take your toe off, you're going to miss it. I guarantee you. We are all connected, Paul says. We are one body, many parts. In other words, he says, we need each other. It's like Bobby said last week when he talked about relationships and family. We are wired to be in relationship with one another. We are hardwired. We are made. We are created to be in relationship with one another. Now, you know this from the very beginning of the Bible when that creation story is there. It says that God created Adam, and then it goes on to say that God took the rib out of Adam, and from that he created woman, and that's intended to help us understand that they are made to be in relationship with one another. 
because God said it was not good that the man be what? Alone. It's not good to be alone. You're wired to me in relationship with others. Now, you know about this because you have a family and you know about the joy of a family and also you know about the challenges that come in a family as well because everybody here, if you're alive, you have challenges in your family. And we have lots of relationships with a spouse, with kids, with co-workers, extended family members, those kinds of things. And, and it's kind of a, a catch-22 because we want those relationships. We long for those relationships, but we also know that sometimes relationships can really hurt. And we know that because when relationships aren't right, they really cause pain in our lives. And you know this as well as I do. So the Bible knows about this importance of relationship, and it uses a term to define a unique kind of relationship that is intended for people who are Christ followers. People who are in the body are intended to have a unique kind of relationship, and it's around this word koinonia. Koinonia is a Greek word. It's a Greek word that, that translated into English means fellowship. That's what you'll see most often. Uh, dictionary.com defines fellowship as a friendly relationship. And, and when I begin to think about what a friend, friendly relationship is, I begin to recognize that those are, those are the, the kind of relationships that, that are at a superficial level, where we talk to one another about the weather, or we talk to one another about the game that was yesterday, or we talk to one another about whatever it might be in the news. We, we run across people all the time. We do it out here in the lobby all the time. We talk about Generally, we talk about superficial kinds of things. We get to work, and we talk about superficial things there as well. But this word koinonia is not about those superficial things at all. It's about a deeper experience in relationship. And for that deeper expression, we're going to look for a moment at 1 John 1, 1 through 7. Here's what John says. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. There's that word. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in Him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Let the church say amen. So John uses this word four times here, this fellowship word, and it's not a reference to the being nice kind of relationship. It's a reference to the deeper kind of relationship that if we were to paraphrase the idea behind koinonia, we would say it's about heart fellowship or heart connection. And you understand, when you put those two words together, heart and fellowship, or heart and connection, it's about a deeper thing. It's about, about, about having a connection about the deeper things of life and of God than the superficial things. 
And this heart connection is about relationships. Now, John says, if we say God is light, but have no heart connection with God, and you understand, hopefully you understand. If you don't understand, maybe you're watching at home and you're tuning in for the first time. By the way, thanks for being here with us. But if you don't have this heart connection with God, please understand that the way you get this heart connection is by accepting Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, the leader of your life. And if you've not done that before today, I invite you today to make that decision. Some of you right now, there's a stirring that's going on in here, uh, and that's where your heart is, right? The deepest place of you. And that stirring has to do with God calling you, saying, I want a relationship with you. And the only way you can have that relationship with God is by inviting Jesus to be the leader of your life. I pray that you would do that today, right now. So John says, if we say God is light, but have no heart connection with God through Jesus, we are liars. We're lying about who we are. But he goes on, if we live in the light, we have a heart connection with God because of Jesus, and we have that same Opportunity to have that heart connection with other people as well because of Jesus. Now, part of the reason this is significant for us, this whole conversation about fellowship, is because John writes to the church at a time when there was a lot of, uh, uh, of social and societal pressures on the church, much like there is today. And two competing ideas were, were common in the Greek world in that day that struck against this idea of koinonia, of heart fellowship. One of them was the movement of the Gnostics. And you've heard about the Gnostics before. That word gnosis is a Greek word that means knowledge. And the Gnostics believed, uh, philosophically they believed, that what got you right with God, what got you to eternal relationship with God, was your head knowledge. Therefore, if all that mattered was your head knowledge of God, then you could do anything you wanted to with your body. And there were a lot of things that the Gnostics did with their bodies that we would say were immoral and wrong, but they did it with clear consciences, at least on their part. They're thinking this is the okay because they believed that only what mattered was what I knew in my head. I could do whatever I wanted to with my body. So the Gnostics were influencers in the life of the church. They were new Christians, and they were, like many people, they were, they were, they were struggling with how to let go of their Gnostic philosophical background and, and deal with life as a Christian. But the other group were the Docetists. And the Docetists believed similarly uh, that it didn't really matter about your body. The Docetists believed that Jesus was a hologram. Now, they didn't use those kinds of terms, but in today's vernacular, that makes sense. We understand a hologram is a representation of something else, but it's not real, right? So the Docetists believed that when Jesus died on the cross that it was just a facsimile, if you will, of Jesus. It wasn't really the Son of God because God would not kill himself. That's a crazy notion. Why would God kill himself? So the docetists kicked that out and said, no, Jesus was just an image, a facsimile. He didn't really die. And you can begin to, as you think about that, begin to realize that the kind of challenges that would, that, that would bring to a church. And so John writes in part to speak against these movements. And he writes to help them understand, look, if you're going to really have heart connection with God, you've got to have a, a mind, you've got to have a, a, a heart, you've got to have a spirit, and, and that's where that connection comes in, with God and with one another. So John wants us to understand the power of a relationship with God. 
He begins in this passage by proclaiming the gospel. I hope you heard that. Uh, it's it's, it's, it's a, a great proclamation that he begins with. We proclaim to you, the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. Can't you just hear him writing that? Can't you just hear him appealing to the people? We saw him with our own eyes. He, he says, I'm a witness. I saw him. I touched him. When someone is a witness, there's passion behind what they say, right? And John is impassioned in proclaiming. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one whose life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. It's a proclamation of the gospel. I encourage you to bookmark 1 John 1, 1 and 2. Because if somebody were ever to ask you, what is the gospel? Open up John 1, 1 John 1, 1 and 2, and there the gospel is presented in two simple little verses, a proclamation of the good news of God. In verse 3, he says, so that you may have fellowship with us. John making the connection that fellowship with God necessarily implies that we have a heart connection with people as well because we are wired, we are created to have those kinds of relationships. Verse 4, he says, I'm telling you this so that you may fully share our joy. Paul or John says, look, if you really want to have full joy in your life, it begins in a relationship with Jesus, but it doesn't stop there. It's intended to be fulfilled in relationships with other people. And if you have heart connection with somebody in your life, you know of which John is speaking. Our aim, John says, is for the joy that comes because of God, not just with God, but with other people as well. You'll be complete. And maybe some of you are struggling with feeling incomplete today. It could be that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never opened your heart to him. And I've already encouraged you to make that choice, make that decision. But, but this joy, this completeness has to do with being in, not just in relationship with God through Jesus, but being in relationship with other people. Verse 5 is pretty clear. He says, this is the message we heard from Jesus, and I declare to you, God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. Pretty self-evident, isn't it? Speaks it pretty plainly. Verse 6, if we claim we have fellowship with him, but walk in darkness, we lie. If we claim we have fellowship with God, but walk in darkness, we are liars. But if we walk in the light, we have fellowship, not just with God, but with one another. So then the question becomes, how do I find that fellowship? So before answering that question, let's look at what happened to the early church. Jesus died, depending on which calendar you're looking at, because you understand, in the 2,000 years of time that's passed since Jesus died and rose from the dead, there's been a lot of transition in, as far as wondering about how we mark time. So depending on what you look at, Jesus died between either 30 or 33, somewhere in there. That's when he was crucified. And historians who study uh, that period of time estimate that there were, as about 70 years later, about 25,000 Christians in the world. So 70 years after Jesus died, rose from the dead, there were about 25,000 Christians. Christianity was illegal. And oh, by the way, Christians didn't have any buildings. 
And oh, by the way, they didn't have a Bible as it sits right now today. It, it wasn't fully developed for yet another 50 or 100 years after 300. There, there were no youth groups. There were no children's ministries. They didn't have all the things that we have today. And yet the church exploded. It flourished. You need to get this. Because it's not about the buildings. It's not about the programs. It's about the fellowship. It's about the heart connection with God and with one another. Do you know that when Constantine became emperor of, of the Roman world in 310, that he made Christianity the official religion of the empire? And so Christianity really took off after that. But by the time Christianity was made the religion of the empire, there were probably 20 million Christians by that time. Think about that. 200 years, it grew from 25,000 to 20 million. Talk about a massive explosion. How in the world could this have happened? A microcosm, a little image, a little example of how it exploded comes from the Methodist movement. Back in the 1750s, John and Charles Wesley began to, to want to change, deepen relationships at, with Christians, and they, they started this little movement at the campus at Oxford University in college. And those guys uh, became declared the Methodists, and calling them Methodists was a derogatory term, you understand, because these guys were very methodical in what they did. And when they were walking across the campus at Oxford University, some people would point fingers and say, oh, there go those Methodists. It was it was a slang term for them, but they adopted it. Hey, we're proud that we are methodical in what we do. When the Declaration of Independence was signed in America in 1776, 2% of America was Methodist. By 1850, 34% of America was Methodist. Why was 34% of America Methodist uh, less than 100 years later? It was Methodist because of the methodical way that those Christians sought to love God and love one another. They were in life. They were doing life together. They were sharing life together. I heard a seminary professor say once that the denominations of today are the corpses of renewal movements of the past. And this is, indict this is an indictment on denominationalism, if you will. I'm proud to be a, a United Methodist. But let me just say, the United Methodist Church didn't, doesn't get me into heaven. Jesus gets me into heaven. The United Methodist Church just happens to be a brand, if you will, theological brand of looking at things, of interpreting, understanding the Bible. But, but, but I, don't, I don't bleed for the United Methodist Church. I bleed for Jesus Christ. That's who we have to remember is at the heart of what we do. So what does this fellowship look like today? Acts 2.42 gives us one of the best pictures of what fellowship looks like in the early church. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to breaking bread, and to prayer. And what you begin to understand is that this explosion in the early church and this explosion that happened in Methodism, too, had to do with people doing life together. I've said it once. I've said it twice now. I'll say it probably a bunch more times this morning. It's about doing life together. This explosion happened because of people doing that. Then, in our church at Lighthouse, probably the best expression of doing life together is to get connected to a life group, to a Sunday class, 
to a Bible study of some kind where, where you're able to not just talk about the superficial things, but where you're actually able to talk about the deeper things as well. Now, if you were here two weeks ago, I talked to you about the vision of Lighthouse and where we're going down the road. One of the things that you heard me say was talking a little bit about our strategic focus. And the strategic focus has to do with these six areas, uh, kids, students, missions, life groups, next steps, worship. And, and please understand, these are not in any particular order, right? They could be, we could jumble them all up. What I try to, to help you understand is these, are, these have got to be the main focus of our church. By and large, all of these things have got to be our main focus. And one of those is life groups. Life groups have got to be part and parcel of who we are as a church. We must keep our focus in these areas. Now, one of the things that I know about life groups and about Bible studies and about Sunday classes is that people are often hesitant to get connected. And they're hesitant because, in part, I think, people don't want to share their problems with somebody else. Now, if I were to ask you if you have any problems in your life, I would hope that you would say, yeah, I've got some. Because being a Christian doesn't mean that, that you don't have any problems anymore. Being a Christian means that you have problems like other people have problems, but you have a God that you turn to to help you walk through and get through those problems by the power of the Holy Spirit. Part of why people don't get into groups is because they don't want people to see their problems. And I would venture a guess. Let me, let, me, let me not guess it. Let me just say it, that everybody in this room has got a problem of some kind right now. Now, you may be sitting there and thinking, well, I, I don't know that I have a problem right now, Frank. Uh, and, oh, okay, I'll, I'll give you that. Maybe you don't have a problem right now, but there's one that's lurking that you don't even know about, that is coming down your road, that is going to be upon you before you know it, and you're not even aware that it's there. Oh, it's coming. Because to be alive is to have problems because we are imperfect and we are in imperfect relationship with people. We struggle with, with who we are and, and in re, being in relationship with others. Sometimes people are afraid to get into a life group of some kind because they don't want somebody to judge them. Well, I don't want to talk about my alcohol problem. I don't want to talk about my struggle with pornography. I don't want to talk about the failure I've, done, I've had at my business. I, oh, you name it. The list is long. I don't want to talk about that because I'm afraid somebody's going to judge me. Well, you know, you can, you can keep closed in and closed up. And what you do by doing that is you, you, you deny yourself the opportunity to get some loving on your life because those people in the life group want to love you. And oh, by the way, there are people that want to support you and encourage you through whatever burden or challenge you might have. It, it, it boggles my mind sometimes to think that, that, that Christians, people who are Christ followers, who know this heart connection with God, Resist having heart connections with other people. And instead of allowing ourselves the opportunity to have a heart connection, we stay at the superficial level and we talk about the football game and we talk about the weather and we talk about things that are of no eternal consequence at all. And yet we long for a deeper connection. We've got to get over ourselves. Isn't it ironic that, that we, we, we admit, we say, the Bible teaches us, we're wired to be in relationship with one another and yet... We deny the opportunity to be in relationship in a deeper relationship with one another. Sometimes people say, oh, I have scheduling problems. You, know, you don't know about busy my schedules. I don't have time for something like that. 
Well, folks, maybe it's time to look at your priorities. Maybe it's time to think about what really are my priorities. If these things really are that important, and by the way, friends, this is not something that we just made up around here. This is, this is part of what the Bible teaches us about how to invest in people. We need to be in relationship with one another. And I want to encourage you today to give up the excuses and wade into a deeper relationship by getting into some kind of a life group. I said it many times a couple of weeks ago when we talked about our vision that this idea, this concept of life groups has got to be part and parcel of who we are as a church. We don't need to be a church with life groups. We need to be a church of life groups. And, and you know, one of the things that is clear to me about why this is so important is, and hopefully you've heard this before, people leave Lighthouse, and, and, and we find out after the fact that they're gone, and what we find out about that individual that's gone, by and large, almost without exception, is that they left because they never had a heart connection here. Oh, they can, they can, people can leave the church and they say, well, I don't like their music or I don't like the pastor or I don't like this or that. But how many times have I said this? If you're looking for the perfect church, it doesn't exist. There isn't one out there. So when people leave, they leave because they didn't have a heart connection there. And whose fault is that? It's that individual making a conscious choice to put the wall up and say, I'm not going to be in tight relationship with anybody, and therefore, it makes it easy for me to run away when I don't like whatever is going on. And, and it robs them of the depth of a relationship just because they never tried. So I want to encourage you today to get into a life group of some kind. You know, we have that app at Lighthouse that, that has the four parts of our next steps, right? Connect, grow, serve, share. If you want to get connected to a life group, go to Connect. And you can get in there and you can learn about the life groups. Call or email Pastor Dan. Uh, he's over our life groups and, and he would love to visit with you about a life group. I just got to say that in the time that Christy and I have been here, the life groups that we've been a part of and we've been a part of one almost without exception every year that we've been here, that those life groups are part of the lifeblood of who we are because we're able to share in those groups. And, 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 and we, we get built up, we get encouraged, we get strengthened because of that connection. I want to close with another passage from Philippians 3, verses 7 through 11. Paul said it this way, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, look, part of the, part of the power of a heart connection with God is that, that you begin to realize the power and depth of what it mean, meant that Jesus died for you, that you share in the sufferings of Christ. And that heart connection binds you together with God and provides you the opportunity to be bound together with other people as well. 
I want to close this morning by inviting you to think with me finally about one of the pieces or parts of being a part of the team is uh, John says it about about this joy being complete. Uh, As I mentioned, Christy and I were out in Tucson last weekend and uh, we talked to Jim Levine about coming to church and so we set up a time to meet at the church, my dad's church, the church I was raised in. And uh, so we got the time set up and we're going to meet there and we're getting ready in the morning and I'm in the living room and dad's in there too and he's, he's doing some stuff at a table and he starts singing, just kind of spontaneously singing. And he's singing, are ye able? Are ye able, said the master, to be crucified with me? It's a, it's a, it's a hymn that a lot of you know. And, and dad starts singing, so I start singing with him. And we have this glorious time, father, son. I got to tell you, I was almost weeping by the time I was done because of the sweetness of what that was. And Chrissy comes out, and, and we, we're ready to go, so we go. Get a text from Jim Levine and saying, hey, we're going to go inside. We're going to get a seat. So we get there, and everybody's standing. And they're singing the first hymn. And we see Jim Levine. There, there they are. So Chrissy's leading our little band of three. She goes around to the outside because she didn't want to interrupt Jim and Levine right there. They're on the aisle. You get that, right? And so she goes around to the outside, and we go in, and, and we stand there. Uh, and Dad grabs the hymnal in, in the pew there, and he opens it up, and he opens it up, and he goes, he does this to me and he goes, look. He puts the hymnal in front of me and it's Are Ye Able? The, the, he just opened the hymnal and there it is, Are Ye Able? And I'm going, wow, that is so cool. So I grab my hymnal and I pull it up and I turn to the page that we're singing that hymn. And, and uh, so we're singing along. And while we're singing along, I, I, in my brain, I get curious because I know that in those hymnals, like a lot of hymnals, when a church buys hymnals, uh, you, you get individuals to buy the hymnals, and then you put a little dedication page in the front. And so I popped open the front cover of the hymnal, and it said, this hymnal is given by Bob and Joan Briggs in honor of their kids, Laura, Tina, Frank, and Sandy. That's me, by the way. And it listed all, of our, all four of our full names in this hymnal. And I go to Dad, I go, Poop, and I go, take a look at this. And he just went like that, and I showed Chrissy, and I got to tell you, it was, it was a Holy Spirit moment. It was a Holy Spirit moment reminding me of, of, of the miracles of God and the power of God when you're on God's team. Friends, we got to be together in this because God has glorious things in store for his children. And I believe those glorious things are part of what Lighthouse has got to be about as we go forward. Let's be connected through koinonia, the fellowship of God and one another. Can the church say amen? amen? Let's pray, shall we? God, how grateful we are for the privilege of being in relationship with one another. God, help us to, to not make excuses about being in a group of some kind. God, but instead help us to look for, to seek out the heart fellowship that comes from hearts being bound together because of Jesus. God, we thank you for the gift of koinonia, of fellowship with you and with one another. God, help us to continue to allow you to change us so that our church might be transformed, so that this community might be transformed, so that Fort Worth might be transformed, so that the United States might be transformed, so that this world might be transformed through the koinonia of Jesus. 
we pray in his name. Amen and amen.